0: Donald J. Trump is facing a potential third indictment, and while this is obviously another load of politically weaponized and steaming BS, it could also be a trap. So watch your step. The show starts now. Well, in breaking news that's not in the least bit shocking at this point, former president and current leading Republican 2024 candidate Donald J. Trump is looking down the barrel of indictment number three. This time for his involvement in January 6th, or as I call it, liberal Christmas. Of all the indictments and scandals he faces, this one might be the most flimsy because the man flat out said peacefully and patriotically make your voices heard. I know that everyone here will soon be marching over to the Capitol building to peacefully and patriotically
1: make your voices heard.
0: Yeah, still unsure how instructing his supporters to peacefully and patriotically make their voices heard qualifies as incitement to violence or amounts to an attempt to overturn the election, but we all know this is just another one of the gashes in this death-by-a-thousand-cuts takedown of Donald Trump. They want him in prison, but you know what they want even more than that? They want him to be our 2024 Republican nominee, folks. Every time they come for the man, impeach him, indict, charge, besmirch, and lie on him, his lead in the GOP race for 2024 widens. And at least half of our party is fully and completely falling right into this trap Don't get me wrong, what they're doing to the man is crap and it needs to be condemned. But some of y'all have let your mega hats fall past your forehead and over your eyes you don't even see what's going on here. They want Trump to be our nominee because they're either going to lock him up or damage him so badly in the eyes of the general public. Yes, there are people who exist beyond mega voters, folks, that he will not be able to beat even dementia ice cream cone Joe Biden. This feels like another trap, and as much as we all want to stick it to the government, we can't stick crap to anything or anyone if we lose in 2024. Please keep this in mind, I beg of you. Still ahead, I'm joined by a full-blown Twitter verified liberal to discuss this potential indictment, book bans, Crooked Joe, and so much more. Brian Krasenstein joins me next. Don't miss this. If you noticed recently, President Trump went up in the polls and was uh, actually surpassing President Biden for re-election, so what do they do now? Weaponize government, go after their number one opponent. It's time and time again, I think the American public is tired of this. They want to have see equal justice, and the idea that they utilize this
1: to go after those who politically disagree with them is wrong.
0: Well, my next guest has been tweeting up a storm about this potential indictment, lucky number three against former President Trump. I think it's safe to say he's on the left side of this issue. Joining me now for what I hope will be a friendly little debate about this and so much more is journalist and Twitter extraordinaire, Brian Krasenstein. Brian, it's great to have you. Uh, I see your tweets pop up on on Twitter regularly. I don't even think I necessarily follow you, but I see all of your content. And I got to say, I don't know if I would call myself a fan, but I am a follower.
1: Well, thanks. Thanks for having me here. I'm happy to be here.
0: So I want to get into this first uh, order of business here, and that's potential indictment number three. So I already know how you feel about it. I saw your tweet yesterday saying, hey, listen, if they go after this man this many times, he's got to be a crook. And maybe we should wait and see if he is, in fact, a crook. So I'm guessing that that's where you stand on this. But I'm wondering if I could just prod you a little bit. Do you think that there's a world that exists that shows the federal government going after Donald Trump repeatedly because they A don't like the guy and B, they don't want him back in office. Do you think there's a world where that could be a possibility?
1: I I understand why some people view it that way, especially if you're on the right. Uh but I, I would say there there isn't a world like that. Uh there's if, if this was a if this was just the Manhattan case, then I would kind of think, hey, maybe maybe it's maybe Alvin Bragg is going after him for political reasons. But this is the third likely indictment. There's been 71 counts. There's certainly going to be many more, it appears. Uh, I say just trust the justice system. Trust trust the justice system. I'm not saying Trump is guilty of anything. I want to wait to see what happens at trial or if there's a plea deal.
0: When you say trust the justice system, I understand it's interesting because sometimes when the justice system doesn't work out the way Democrats uh, would like it to, they burn things to the ground, but that's beside the point. Uh, I want to talk about just the merits of all of this. You know, this isn't just the indictment one, indictment two, potential indictment three. This is also impeachment one, impeachment two, the fake dossier. Do you see where some people on the right and especially the Trump supporters out there might feel like, boy, you just keep trying to go after this guy for this so-called insurance policy to keep him out of office, and it feels like the the scales of justice are really not not tipped in this man's favor here?
1: So I, I can see that from the impeachment angle, because impeachment is a political tool, right? So it's it's Congress, depends on the makeup of Congress, whether somebody is impeached and and also convicted. From a criminal sense, though, I have more trust in the justice system than I do the whole political arena. Um I think there's many checks and balances. It's a separate branch of government. You have independent judges, you have independent jurors and grand juries. So th- there's, there's little argument that things are tilted against Trump. I'd even suggest that things are actually tilted in Trump's favor if he does go to trial, merely because you need the entire jury to convict somebody. One single juror, that could be a Trump supporter, and the case is a mistrial.
0: Okay, um, I'm gonna leave that there. I I disagree with you on a lot of those points, but I'm wondering this, and I really want your perspective on this. Whether he is guilty or not, or he's convicted or not, Do you think that this is an excellent play by the left and by Democrats to just really pile things on him to such an extent that it makes it very difficult for him to campaign if he ends up being our nominee for 2024, that it puts him in such a bad light to the American people who are so sick of this indictment circus, so sick of the drama that comes along with it, that this is just, whether they can convict him or not, just a throw everything at the wall, see what sticks, and just damage the man so badly so he can't win an election, innocent or guilty. Do you see that as being a potential strategy for the left?
1: If this was impeachment, I would. I think impeachment was likely at least partially a strategy in order to try and damage Trump. Uh, They knew that they weren't gonna convict him or at least most people in Congress likely knew who were on the left that a conviction was not gonna happen. But when you talk about the justice system and this these three cases, and maybe a fourth case in Georgia, I don't feel that it is politicized. i I get the whole narrative that people are claiming it is, but there's there's so many there's there's so many tools and so many ways in which this is prevented from becoming a political attack uh, as opposed to a impeachment that you saw twice in 2019 and 2018.
0: Brian, I'm gonna go out on a limb here and say that you would like to see Joe Biden reelected. Is that correct?
1: Uh, Yeah, I I mean, (laughs) I'm a Democrat, so I would like a Democrat in office. Uh, That's not to say that I don't think his age is an issue. Um, Against Trump, absolutely, I'd like to see Biden reelected.
0: So you've gotta explain something to me. I don't talk to many Democrats, and in fact I do talk to a lot of Democrats, by the way, who were excited about Joe Biden. I just don't see the excitement there. I don't see anybody that's just full-blown, let's go Joe, we want him in office, not in 2020, certainly not in 2024. But it's like, we just hate Trump so much that we will elect a vegetable in place of Trump. Um, so that to me is a little concerning because I would assume Brian that you love your country and you want this country to do well I don't think it's uh, I don't think it's up for argument that this country was doing well under Trump whether you liked him or not economically we were doing well on the world stage we were doing well so you would rather see Joe Biden who cannot complete a sentence as your president once again or Kamala even worse than a president Trump
1: yeah I Certainly, rather see a Joe Biden than a Trump. Why? And that's you have because, to
0: explain that to me.
1: Well, well, number one, uh, he represents the left more than the right, and I think there's so many things that I disagree with Trump on. I'd rather somebody be pushing forward progressive ideas than than conservative ideas. I, like I said, I, I think that Biden's age is definitely a concern. But you, it's you surround yourself with people who are going to push forward your ideas in the way you want the country run. Uh, If something was to happen to Biden, Harris could step in. Uh, (laughs) Brian, Brian, uh,
0: Brian, I I know that you're not really trying to tell me that Vice President Kamala Harris, thinking about her being your president, I know you're not going to try to tell me that that gives you comfort at night when you lay your head down on the pillow. Have you listened to her speak? I mean, it's worse than Joe and Joe falls asleep mid-sentence.
1: I, I mean, have you listened to Trump speak, too, though? Yes, I, I
0: love it. I love it every time.
1: I I, I feel that the administration, I, I feel that Biden should have given uh, Kamala more, uh, I, I think, more action, uh, put her as more of a face as the vice president than he has. I think that she's had limited public appearances. Uh, those limited public appearances are skewed usually to make it appear as if she's incapable, but she's a very capable woman. Her background is she has experience that can certainly lead a nation.
0: Okay, um, he's given her a lot of opportunities because he's literally given her the command of several things, including our border, that she half visited one time. Uh, Now, apparently, she's the czar of artificial intelligence. Just last week, she described artificial intelligence as a fancy thing that's two letters. I mean, every time they let this woman speak, it's a debacle. You have to
1: watch. You had to, to watch the whole video, yeah. if you oh, I watched out the, the whole video, seconds. Brian.
0: It didn't get better. And also it when did. she... It, it did. Brian. It, the, the,
1: typical, the typical American doesn't understand AI. The Neither does Kamala.
0: Kamala doesn't either. Kamala should have gotten a lesson before she opened her mouth. And this is my problem with her. I don't think that she is a dumb person. I think that she's intellectual. She's got to be to be in all the role- roles that she has served in. But it feels to me that she doesn't do the work. When you see her talking about the passage of time as time passes, when you talk about the wheels on the school bus go round and round, I mean, you know that this woman is not preparing for the speeches and the public appearances that she's been given. So for me, I'm not saying this just as a Republican. I don't think Democrats want her either. And I think if you're being honest, you'll tell me that you don't really want to see a Kamala either. I'd have more respect, Brian, if you would say Gavin Newsom, because I could say, all right, that's a worthy opponent. But Kamala and Joe, that's a hard sell.
1: So, so if, if pre, so, f- before I get to that, I, I think that Kamala would make a... Pr- a decent president. I I don't think that she would, she would be better than a man who has been indicted three times. Uh, She'd be better than a man if he's convicted, right? So I'd rather have her than a convicted felon if Trump is convicted. With that said, uh, I do like Newsom. I think that Newsom or John Ossoff or Shapiro, I think they would all make fine candidates for the Democrats. Uh, I wouldn't put Kamala Harris as one of my favorites.
0: Yeah, nobody would. Uh, The Democrats didn't, which is why she didn't last long when she ran for president. But I gotta turn now to a little discussion on Joe Biden, because you talked about not wanting a convicted felon in office. Weird to me, because I hear the Democrats routinely tell me that we should let everybody out of jail, that uh, the people that are rioting and looting and burning cities to the ground are actually just mostly peaceful protesters, but that aside. When we look at Joe, when we look at the piling, mounting evidence about his pay-to-play bribery, I understand that you're going to tell me that they're still investigating it, that there's no hard evidence. But when you look at it, when you look at that WhatsApp message from Hunter Biden, for example, talking about sitting there with his father and really trying to shake down a foreign national for money, that doesn't give you a cause for pause, even in the least, that you would be electing what should be a convicted felon into office for the second time?
1: So the the WhatsApp messages, I'd need more information on those. Obviously, if they're legitimate, then I I think that they should be looked into. The second thing is Hunter Biden, he was on drugs. He was an addict. What he was texting somebody and what was actually happening are two separate things. Was Joe Biden there talking to him? If he was, I absolutely agree that Biden should not be president. But I have not seen any evidence pointing to that other than a WhatsApp message that cannot be actually collaborated and also does not indicate that Joe Biden was actually present.
0: Well, he said my father's here. So unless there's an episode of Maury Povich I'm unaware of, his father would be Joe Biden. But you have to
1: tell you that I'm sitting next to Donald Trump right now. Right. Would you believe me?
0: Well, there's a reason why Hunter Biden received the money that he received. I think that you and I can both agree it's not because he's a Burisma Energy executive or because he's an excellent painter or whatever other odds and ends job that he might have. When you look at it and you see nine Biden family members getting millions of dollars over the span of almost a decade, that doesn't make you look at that and say, hmm, Why is a Biden grandchild, the one that you know is acknowledged, receiving money from foreign entities? That doesn't make you a little bit suspicious, Brian?
1: Well, so first of all, Biden grandchildren didn't receive money directly from foreign entities. The money was sent to Hunter Biden, and Hunter Biden divvied it up. He gave it to people. He's allowed to give money to his girlfriend or his daughter or his son, uh, whoever he wants to give money to. He's a private citizen now. I agree that some of the positions that Hunter should have taken, he shouldn't have taken. I I, I think that it gives this appearance of corruption. Now, is there evidence that Joe Biden received money based on actions that his son took as a private citizen? No, if you have that evidence, then sure, let's see it. But all we have right now are, are people that are saying that people in Ukraine said something, right? So we, we need evidence. You need hard facts and evidence to actually point to corruption and a crime.
0: Well, we're gonna have whistleblowers testifying and we've already had whistleblowers come forward. We've got apparently 17 voicemails. I mean, the evidence, so, so, it, the evidence so here's is the thing. piling up.
1: So here's the thing though. So you have whistleblowers. Typically, when a whistleblower comes forward, they bring with them receipts. They bring documents, they bring recordings, they bring something that backs up what they're saying. So it's more than just some person saying they heard something, right? So let's see that. If you have that, then I absolutely will take a look at it and consider it.
0: Well, there's an entire form, but we'll get to that. We could debate this back and forth all day long. Next thing I want to shift to while we have some time is the culture war, right? Uh, I see you tweet a lot, and sometimes I agree with your tweets because sometimes I think that you are very level-headed, other times not so much. But I want to talk about the book bans, all right? This is Gavin Newsom's favorite topic, by the way. He just is so dedicated to making sure that gay soft porn is in the libraries of children. But I want to get your thoughts on this because I don't know exactly where you stand. Do you think books like Gender Queer, for example, should be in children's libraries?
1: So I, I think this is kind of a, a matter of where you draw a line. So it, it's not a black and white issue, right? It's, it's there's very many different shades of gray. Uh, there's different books. There's different age groups. There's different ways that these books are kept away from children. So I think it's like a happy medium. The solution's something like allowing these books to be in libraries if they're if they're uh, able to be seen by certain age groups. So, I mean, obviously genderqueer shouldn't be in a grade school. Uh, and putting the book somewhere that only certain age groups can see, and perhaps with something like gender queer, which is one of the more racy books, you could have it only being able to be checked out if there, a parent gives permission. Uh, I think parents should have rights and parents should be making these decisions. But I, I think that what we see often is that everybody on the right says these books should be banned and should be unaccessible to students. While those on the left are saying these, all these books should be accessible to so many students. So it's somewhere in between, I think.
0: All right. Well, I can agree with that. Do you think that they should put playboy magazines next to the gender queer for the certain age groups? Do you think that that would be fair game as well then?
1: No, no, I, I don't. I, I think that if the book is something that is actually teaching students something and genderqueer actually does teach students if you have transgender students it teaches them about themselves i think that that's different than just plastering it playboy where you have actual nude photographs and it serves no educational purpose well i think there's a difference
0: well okay we have a different idea of what educational is if you're trying to teach young people about gay oral sex gender queer is your book um well, well
1: so 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 like 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 look at look at sex ed right so sex ed it typically begins what in 5th grade when students are 11 or 12 years old i i mean you're seeing pictures similar to gender queer i mean obviously you're not seeing everything that's in in gender queer no no
0: no uh, listen it, i don't Ryan, i don't know how old you are tool. but i am almost 31 years old right i would assume that you were probably around my age So I, in school, I had sex ed classes. I had biology classes, which the left also wants to deny. But I have never, in all of my teachings in school, ever seen any depiction of oral sex ever in school, ever. Not straight oral sex, not gay oral sex, none of it. Not a manual, not a cartoon, not a description, Uh, nothing.
1: Well, but but you hear it, you hear it, you learn about it right you no. learn about what it is no. yes you do i remember i remember being in 6th grade and learning about it and Okay. i, I mean I, Your school i'm pretty is sure far that more most, progressive
0: most, than mine <laughs>
1: Maybe it was.
0: I went to school in South Dakota, so maybe that's the difference. We don't have that in South Dakota, but you know, times are changing. Uh, The last thing I want to talk about is kind of a fun topic, and I want to congratulate you because you're doing really well on Twitter. You're making that money, all right? And I want to talk about what you think about this new Twitter model. You were obviously named in several articles talking about how much you made. So, can you tell my audience how much you've made off of Elon's Twitter and the ad replies and what you think about that program?
1: Yeah, so the first payment that we got, well, I got was uh, a little over $24,000. I think it was over about 4 months. Uh but yeah, like I I I don't think it's a bad idea. I think that it's it's likely something that is going to drive more creators to Twitter, people that maybe didn't didn't even consider Twitter in the past. Uh I mean, all these platforms are starting to monetize, whether it's YouTube, Facebook has monetization options, not the same way as Twitter, but It's definitely something that could attract people to Twitter.
0: Are you concerned at all, because I am concerned about this, that because it's monetizing the replies to tweets, that people on the left and the right are going to tweet more extreme things to get a reaction to make more money? Because I truly have that fear that it's going to entice grifters to grift harder and to be more ridiculous simply to get more money.
1: I, I actually feel it could actually do the opposite. And and I'll, I'll tell you why. I, I think that Twitter's algorithm right now is it's basically boosting dialogue. So comments on tweets and comments to comments. So if somebody comments on my tweet and I reply back, that is actually boosting the post within the For You feed. So that is boosting a dialogue. And I think dialogue is important. I think when you have a dialogue, a lot can be accomplished. People understand each other better. Uh, so will people tweet out outlandish, outrageous things in order to get clicks. It's possible. But I also feel that I've noticed, I even noticed myself, like I I post things that are going to create a dialogue. Even if you disagree with me, I'll still have a dialogue with you and try to understand what you're saying. And I, I feel that a lot of the people on the right who follow me are doing the same. So I, I don't know. I think Elon's, Elon's idea here, it, it might just work. We'll see.
0: Well, I like it, and congratulations to you for doing so well on Twitter. I certainly see you in my feed often, which is why I wanted you on my show, because I I appreciate the dialogue, whether it be virtual dialogue or dialogue Zoom. I I appreciate it, and I appreciate you coming on. I hope to have you back. We've got a lot more to discuss uh, about your president and Kamala, because I really want to dig into that as more information develops. Great to have you, Brian. Thank you for coming on.
1: Yeah, thank you, Tommy.
0: Up next in Switching Gears, remember the Oscar-winning film The Blind Side? Well, the real-life subject of that smash hit, Michael Orr, joins me in studio next to discuss his new book and so much more. Well, he's the real life star behind the box office and Oscar winning smash hit film, The Blind Side. But these days, he's turning his focus to spreading love, light, positivity, and hope to those who need it most. His new book, When Your Back's Against the Wall, hits shelves on August 8th. Joining me now, a former college NFL football star turned author and philanthropist, philanthropist Michael <laughs> Orr. Michael, it's so good to have you.
2: Thanks for having and me. And I'm I so happy to hear it.
0: that you're a Nashvilleian. I'm always finding wonderful people that live here in Nashville. No,
2: it's a great city. It's the first city I ever traveled to once I left out of Memphis so fell in love with it probably about 25 years ago we used to play all our uh, high school championship games up here at Lipscomb Academy, Vanderbilt Stadium so it's always been a great city to me.
0: Well Tennessee loves you and I want to talk about the book but first I mean people obviously know you and they know your story from the blind side so we've heard about this for so many years because it's still a film that I think Every age group loves and adores and watches, and it was really a beloved film. I mean, it did really well for people like Sandra Bullock. I mean, when you (laughs) saw that, I know you've answered this question a million times, but when you saw the success of this movie and how it won an Oscar for Sandra Bullock and how well it did, did you think that that was ever going to be possible?
2: I didn't, especially uh, when, like I said, like you said, when my back has been against the wall all my life, so... Uh, to have a especially a movie made about you coming from uh nothing and being on the streets uh, at the very beginning age of three years old and uh homeless and the first time you felt that comfortable feeling that you'll be you'll have a place to stay for the next few years and have a meal for the next uh, few years was when I stepped foot on college so from three years old to 18 uh, i I struggled and had it was a lot of hopelessness there and the you know, to have a move in your life story and people to inspire people and to motivate. I mean, it's, it, it was an incredible thing to see and it's still inspiring, like you said, generation after generation, six, seven, eight year old kids, uh, know who Michael Warrior is. So, I mean, that's uh it, it's an incredible feat for me and you know, it, it it gave me the sense of duty to continue to doing what I'm doing now and uh, continue to motivate, inspire and just give back to the people that's coming up behind me.
0: I love that, and we need more role models in today's society, because we have a lack of that, especially strong male role models in mentors, society. Mentors.
2: Mentors is the key to everything. That's uh, Without that, I, I see young young boys, young girls, and it, it saddens me that uh, a mentor is not in their lives, someone who can breed wisdom and steer them in the right direction to pour, uh, pour back into them, because for me, I needed that early on. Uh, I was trying to do the right thing, 10, 11 years old, and on the streets, you're almost an adult already at that age when you're coming from that environment. And it would have helped me mentally to have somebody to, to mentor and let me know that it was okay to do the right thing. If you continue to do what you do right now when you're 20 years old, you'll be exactly what you wanted to be. And I wouldn't have had to be at war every day mentally And it's a lot of trauma comes with that because every day you're trying to do the right thing, but you're in the same circumstance. So you need someone to lead you and guide you and let you know it's going to be okay if you continue to do what's right.
0: In the last several years, especially through covid when people lost a lot of the extracurriculars that kept them going the sports the academics the music i mean that was ripped away from a lot of people especially people in underserved communities already that relied on that and then coming out on the other side of that we still have massive problems when it comes to our communities we've got young people who don't know where to go they turn to the streets they turn to that lifestyle because they don't know what else to do. They don't have a sense of belonging. And I know that your book talks about this and it talks about mentorship and it talks about doing the right thing and finding your passion and finding your voice and finding what drives you. But what do you say to those young people out there who are really struggling that, like you said, they want to do well. They want to exceed in life but and succeed in life, but they feel like there are so many barriers in their way and it would be easier to go on a different path and maybe not be as righteous
2: i think the most important thing for that right there i left because it was it's routine Um uh, like i said i was homeless up until from about three years old and 10 to 10 i was in and out of foster care on the streets for a year by myself before i uh got put into a, a hospital and then i ran away from the hospital and i was so tired i needed a routine and that's what i was really chasing i started to go to school on my own started to do the right thing on every day and the routine was doing the exact same thing every single day. And I had it in my mind what if I'm doing that, birthday after birthday, I couldn't wait because I knew I was getting closer to my goal and that was success and that was not being not, you know, going to the NFL or getting wherever I wanted to be, but it wasn't gonna be a statistic and with COVID, every the routine broke for everyone, even for me. <laughs> I'm just now getting back. I love working out. So when COVID hit, I mean, geez, I stopped working. I put on a game of 50 pounds and just the routine was, was lost. And without that, everyone I know who doesn't have a great routine is life's in shambles. So you have to have a plan. You have to, whatever your dream is, put that plan together, get through a routine. And that's discipline and being consistent. You have to do that before it can be tangible. And I think that's the most important thing. So so many times nowadays, you know, everyone wants it to be so fast and to happen right now, especially with social media. But you have to get lost in the process. That's the fun part. I wouldn't be right here if I wouldn't have went through all those things as a kid. So the, the stories and the obstacles, and that's how you navigate, and that's how you give back. So the other person won't have to go through those rough patches. So it's the routine and, you know, discipline and being consistent and finding someone that you can look up to and that you admire and want to be like. But I think the most important thing for the young people, it starts with you. It starts with you right now. I didn't see anyone that I didn't, I was the first person that I knew to graduate high school. I didn't have anyone that had a job to go to someone that I could see to mimic myself or model myself after. So it starts with want to. And I knew that When I looked in that mirror at 11 years old, everyone around me was, you know, drugs and violence, all of that stuff. And they were in the same situation I was in. So I understood that they couldn't help me. So, and I I didn't want to be a burden. I wouldn't want to put up my problems on them when I knew that, you know, they couldn't save me. So I put everything on me and I blamed myself, even though, you know, I could have been angry at other people. But I blamed myself and it started with want to and just having that uh, ability to to put positivity into my mind. So, you know, it starts with you first if you want to change.
0: Does it frustrate you at all in popular culture, the victimhood mentality that's pushed, especially on young people? It's, you can only attain this level of success. Everything is against you. So it's not your fault. Life is unfair. I feel like that message is coming in really strong right now. And sometimes it's hard to navigate through that because it's easier to be a victim. It would have been much easier for you just to be a victim.
2: It is. It is because when you brought up the movie, I, I didn't like movies like that. I didn't like people. To me, it looks like, you know, Big Mike in the movie, he needs someone. And that's not the case. You know, I moved in with the uh, the Tui family at 18, and I was there a few months, uh, less than a year. And I, don't, I didn't like... To, the part I didn't like—I don't like th- that if you're thinking 100% at uh, 100% capacity, 100% physically, it's no reason you shouldn't be able to go out here, get off your butt, or, and get the job done. Do what you need to do, and be where you want to be. It's about effort. Uh, it, no one's feeling sorry for yourself. I, for me, that was my last thought, and it's so much of that now, and it's so. It, it's it's been it's been going on for a long time, and that handicaps uh, a lot of people when you're constantly, you know, giving people what they want and not having people earn things. I'm a big building it from foundation day by day, and that makes everything better. And you you appreciate things a lot more when you've earned it, when you've put in the work, and when you 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 can when someone's giving you something every. You're not going to appreciate it. You're not going to understand what it took to, you know, get this table right here in here. I mean, you, you you know you're breaking and not care for it and things like that. So I, I think uh, it, it starts there. Uh, it starts with uh, just go back to that want to and having that foundation of of sense of pride. To be honest, and mm-hmm. uh, just, uh, just 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 want to be better for for society
0: and for yourself. That's it. So you tweeted something out. Uh, on, in June that I thought was really interesting. It was a very simple tweet, but it just simply said, vote with your dollar, and we have the tweet. Vote with your dollar. A very simple <laughs> message, right? Yeah. But you got to explain to me the meaning behind that, why you tweeted it, and what you meant by it.
2: Um, I say a lot of things. I, I tweet a lot of <laughs> things and I delete them. Uh, because. But well, we
0: got that one, yeah, Michael. Yeah, so. <laughs> I, and
2: people don't understand it. I'm, I'm kind of a person where, I, if I'm joking, I like for you to Find out what the joke is two weeks later. You know, if when I tweet something, it doesn't get reactions. <laughs> People don't understand them. But right there, uh, what I meant by that is whatever you believe in, whatever you're doing, if you're, if your shoe is whatever that shoe is, if you you if you don't like that a, a certain thing, don't go and support that. If you're if your beliefs are I don't care what party you're in. If that's your belief, you can you can control things by where you spend your dollar. Right? And you can vote that way. You don't necessarily have to go to a poll. You know, you can believe in what you believe in, but you can control politics uh with your pocket. And what I'm and basically what I meant by that is you, you and I don't want to go too deep. A lot of people have more control than what they think. right? And you can make it happen with the dollar because at the end of the day, I mean, that makes this world spin around, you know? Um, but um, I, I think it starts there and, you know, but you have to do your research. You have to know what you're doing and you just can't be blind to things. Uh, everything that you need is in a book, uh, do some research and just uh, find out for yourself so many people run to the polls and vote for people that they shouldn't vote for because they hadn't done any research and don't know and don't see the real meanings and I'm smart enough to know and coming from where I came from and being held back uh, especially the black culture being held back for a long time uh, I know what's right from wrong and what ways you should be on and that's what I mean by that
0: and now you're an author Book coming out on August 8th, so just a couple of weeks from now. So I, I would assume it's a lot about your story. But what else in that book would people be surprised to read coming from you?
2: I think, um, I mean, it's a, you have to check it out and see. But it's some great things in there. One of the, you know, it, it's really a continuation from my last book, I Beat the Odds, and, you know, going through, you know, job loss and uh, mental health uh, with that. You know, just having so many unexpected things happen uh, to you. You know, you have a career. Your career is going, playing good football, and all of a sudden it's taken away. And the most important thing in this book right here is to let people know that you can, when your back's against the wall, you don't have to give up. You have to, like I said, look yourself in the mirror. And whatever answer you need, I don't care. You're, you might not be where you want to be in life whatever answer you, 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 if it's a job, if it's a sport, look yourself in the mirror and understand, the, if are you putting in the right amount of work? Are you staying overtime? Are you doing what you're supposed to do to excel and to uh, continue to go up that ladder? Uh, and I, nine times out of 10, whatever answer you need, will be in that mirror. And it, it's, uh, it, it's you know, and just the want to, and healing yourself first you can't go out and help others and change whatever situation you're in, change this world, change the next generation without being healthy first. Right. And for me, you know, mentally I had to, you know, become get back to where I was uh, years ago and mentally before I could go back and reach back out and share what I'm sharing now. So uh, it's a, it's a bunch of things. And, you know, it's I don't want to. It's one. It's a few important things in there, um, but I, I just I'm gonna let the yeah. people look at it and read it, and and then I'll talk about it afterwards. I'll come back on yeah. talk to you.
0: It sounds like a fantastic book, and listening to you talk, I think your message is so important because you talk about personal responsibility and accountability. You answer to yourself. You're not a victim. Nobody cares, work harder, and you got to be who you want to be for yourself first, and it's nobody else's fault, and it's nobody else's problem, because if you're waiting for someone to come save you, it might not ever happen, so you better learn how to save yourself. And when I listen to you talk, you actually sound a lot like one of my favorite politicians, and that's <laughs> Senator Tim Scott. And I don't know if you're very familiar with him, but his message is very similar to yours, in that nobody's South a Berlin. victim... Go out there and make it happen for yourself. And that's not a Republican or a Democrat message. That should just be an American message. And I love that you're echoing that, especially to young people.
2: That's it. Uh, you're right. And when I got out to Briarcrest school that I graduated from, private school, kids are so smart and intelligent. And I was around them a couple months. And, I'm, you know, you never get to intertwine and coming from where I come from and mesh. And what I got to realize and what gave me motivation was, Everybody's the same. Everybody's normal. Everybody's working hard. It's no different. I mean, some people might have the resources and the opportunities to start off and have a, you know, a, 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 a head, some are ahead of the game a little bit, but uh, it's sometimes a lot. But I mean, you have to, hey, you can't sit back. You can't cry about it. You got to put the work in. And what that tells me is, hey, we got to do some extra work. You know, if you, <laughs> if I get out here on the football field, I'm, not as good. I have to show up earlier. I have to go to the weight room. I have to get more work in. I have to watch more film. I have to put the time in to catch up. And you know, before long, you're gonna outpace um, who's ever in front of you. You know, as long as you're putting in the extra work, that it just boils down to that. It's it's no sides behind it. It's a uh, it's about want to at the end of the day.
0: It's about want to. I love that. August 8th, your new book comes out. Thank you so much for spending so much time with me and for your incredible message. I hope everyone will go out and read your book. I think it's a great educational lesson, especially for the younger generation. They need to hear it. Michael, we're so glad to have you also in Tennessee. God bless you, you. and please come back soon.
2: Will do. Thank you. Thank you for having me.
0: Still ahead, non-country fans are pretty fired up at Jason Aldean's new realistic music video. I guess those mostly peaceful protests hit differently these days. My final thoughts are next. Well, well, well. The woke crowd is all in a tizzy over Jason Aldean's music video because apparently mostly peaceful protesting doesn't look so good when you actually show it. It's time for final thoughts. Folks, in case you couldn't deduce this from his social media, his background, his patriotism, and his body of work, country star Jason Aldean is not woke, he's not an Antifa sympathizer, and he doesn't give a rat's ass if you don't like it. But he's under fire this week after releasing the music video for his song, Try That in a Small Town. If you couldn't already gather this from the title of the song, it's about how all the lawlessness, the looting, the rioting and vandalism, and the burning that took place after the death of the left's patron Saint George Floyd would not and should not be tried in a small town. The song has a pro-2A, pro-law and order, pro-basic decency message and the video showcases real images of the 2020 riot season. So of course, the libs of America and the libs who don't belong in country music, well, they're having a little tantrum over it. CMT even removed the music video due to backlash of, yes, showing real-life thugs in real-life action. I guess the woke crowd is worried these images and scenes that um, actually took place won't look so mostly peaceful three years later after everyone has hopefully taken off their BLM and Black Square blinders. CMT hasn't been about country music or country music fans in years, and it's actually pretty pathetic. They'd rather placate to drag queens and diversity quotas over what actually sells because liberalism is a disease. But not only are the BLMers upset with Aldean's music video, so are the anti-gunners like Shannon Watts of Moms Demand Action, who tweeted this in response to the video, in horror that Jason Aldean, who lived through the Route 91 Harvest Massacre in Las Vegas, would advocate for the Second Amendment. Shannon, babe, guess what? Patriots, yeah, we don't live in candy land like you do, and we fully understand and realize that stripping guns away from decent and law-abiding Americans We'll do nothing to stop gun crimes or tragedy. We also feel safer knowing we have said firearms to protect and defend ourselves should thugs, felons, terrorists, or murderers decide to try us. You know, the whole point of the Second Amendment and the shall not be infringed that you gun control people can't seem to wrap your little minds around. But in response to all of this nonsense, Jason Aldean put out a lengthy statement explaining his video and the intention behind it. A nice gesture with some clarification, but also completely unnecessary, because as Jason well knows, these vultures are dedicated to misunderstanding him anyway, and trying to somehow convince them otherwise is futile at best. They don't want to understand. They want to hate you with every woke bone in their meek little bodies, because that's what these cancel culture Twitter weasels live for. Jason Aldean should not apologize and should not cede one inch of ground to these people. He knows that, and he knows country music fans have his back, and we are the ones buying tickets and listening to his songs. We are your people, we love your song, and we love your music video. So rock on and never bow to the mob. They aren't worth it. And to my fellow patriots, let's reverse Bud Light this and make the song go number one, you know what to do. Those are my final thoughts from Nashville. God bless and take care.